0: That was pretty awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely applaud for that. So tonight we're going to talk about the Grinch, but remember, of course, that our theme is a Grinch-less Christmas, which means that we are not to become the Grinch at Christmas. Now, you all remember the story. At least I, I know that some of you do. And as the story goes, the Grinch is this Mean and hateful character. Now, kids, does anybody remember why is the Grinch so mean and hateful? His heart is two sizes too small. I think we've got one up here of the Grinch with his heart being two sizes too small. You can hardly even see it there on the x ray And because he is so mean and he is so hateful, he's miserable. That's what often happens to people when we're hateful. And when we are miserable, then we tend to make everybody else miserable as well. And so the Grinch had a plan. He was going to make everyone in Whoville miserable. And how was he going to do that? Does anybody remember from the story? What happened in the story, he was going to do what? What? Steal all the Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. That was his plan throughout the movie. But if you remember, as the story goes along, the people in Whoville are so kind and they're so wonderful and they're so good that they change who the Grinch is. And his heart grows from being two sizes too small to what? Two sizes too big. Let's see if we can watch it grow up there. There it goes. So it grows to be two sizes too big. Now, as I said, throughout the Advent season, which is a time where we prepare our hearts and our minds in preparation for the birth of our Savior, Jesus. So we want to prepare so that we are not like the Grinch, but rather, even as our heart grows, that we influence the hearts of others as well. And so we're going to do that as we look at the Word of God. We're going to take a look now at our verse for tonight, as well as for the next couple of weeks, if you'll put it up there. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, the heart is not this organ that is in the middle of our chest not the organ that pumps blood throughout our body, but rather our heart is equivalent to our soul, to the center of our being. So when we talk about our heart, we talk about who it is that we are and then everything else flows from that. There's another verse here in Proverbs that, that goes like this. It says, As water reflects the face. So as you and look into a mirror, or as you can look into a pool of water, and you'll see your reflection. So also then, one's life reflects the heart. What is in you is what is going to determine what you do, what your actions are going to be. Now, I know that we've all heard this saying that you are what you eat. Have you heard that before? Raise your hand. You are what you eat. If that were the case, then today I would be a giant coffee cup. Because that is what I do most of the day. I drink coffee. Now, in fairness, I don't drink as much as the people in the office think that I do. Because you see what happens to coffee? It sits around and it gets cold. So I'm just constantly filling my coffee cup up with hot water. So it looks like I'm drinking coffee all day. So we just celebrated Thanksgiving. So if you are what you eat, some of you would be that... You would be a turkey, or maybe you're mashed potatoes and gravy, or maybe you're a pumpkin pie. But the truth is, we are not what we eat, are we? Truly not. You all look like people from here. I don't see any turkeys out there. (laughs) Small joke. (laughs) But we are what is in our heart, and so we need to guard it, what goes into it, we also can guard what comes out of it. Now, we all want to be people of character as a people of God, and so we want to make sure that we guard our hearts. I want to tell you two little stories about two different fathers. One is a father that I visited as a pastor many years ago, a member of the church that I was serving. A whole set of unfortunate circumstances had affected this man's life, and he was very bitter, and he was very angry. So I came over to try to find some peace for him in his life. And he said it all centered around his son, who was into drugs. And he said the thing that disappointed him the most was that since his son was now on drugs, that he had become a liar. He lied about everything. He never told his parents the truth. He stole from them to feed his habit. Now, when I was there, and this is a true story, I was sitting on the couch and we were visiting and he was telling me the story. Back in the days when we didn't have cell phones and the phone rang in the kitchen. So the man's wife went and answered the phone and you could hear them from the living room. Someone was on the phone and so she yells out, she goes, so-and-so's on the phone, what should I tell him? And the man said, he yelled back, he said, tell them I'm not here. So where do you think the lying truly came from? Was it the drugs? Or what was going into his heart? Beginning with his father's heart. Well, that's one story. Let me tell you another. This is a story about my father when I was... Transitioning from uh, my teaching role many, many years ago, and I wasn't really sure yet what I wanted to do, I needed to to earn some money, of course, for the summer, and so there was this one job that I really wanted. It was a good-paying job, and I had pursued it, and I thought that I was going to get it, but I wasn't sure. In the meantime, I I needed a backup plan, as we all do, and so I had this other job all lined up just in case the first one did not pan out, but I really wanted the first one course you know what's going to happen the first one didn't come through and then the second one did so I took it and I promised them that I would work for them over the summer and of course in the story which you know what's going to happen a couple days later that first job one that I really wanted the better paying job they call and they say we now have an opening for you can you take the job so I went to my dad, as I always did, for advice. And I said, Dad, here's my dilemma. I've got this job that I really want, but I took another one instead. What should I do? He says, well, it's pretty simple. Did you promise that you would take this second job? And I said, yes. So he simply said, then why are we having this conversation, right? As the people of God, we have two paths that we can take. One is a path of integrity, which simply means to do what you say you're going to do. The other one is to be a hypocrite, which simply means that we are two-faced. We say one thing and we do another. Unfortunately, in the world today, in the secular world today, many Christians have the reputation of the one on the left, not the one on the right. Which are you? Well, we all are hypocrites from time to time, and yet, as the people of God, we want to be those people of integrity. We want to live a life of integrity, not only because that affects our relationship with God, but with other people as well. Now, over the last couple, well, last number of decades, there is there is one name in particular, uh, a Christian pastor, an evangelist, uh, that, that always comes up when we talk about the word on the right. Now he's now gone, but Billy Graham was a person of integrity. There are three things that often trip up Christians, and particularly famous evangelists, and they are pride, sex, and money. In all of those areas, Billy Graham was a man of integrity. He was a man of humility. All of his success did not go to his head. He realized that his gifts all came from God and not from himself. He guarded his heart as well as his life because he had certain boundaries that he placed around himself, one of those that he would never be in the presence of a woman who was not his wife, unless someone else was there as well, all the way to the point, and he was made fun of this, all the way to the point where he wouldn't even get into an elevator with another woman, unless another person was there as well. And unlike many famous evangelists, He took a modest salary, and he didn't take any royalties from any of the publications that he had made. He was a man of integrity. These words that Melanie read earlier, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet, and be steadfast in all your way. So again tonight, we want to ask ourselves, which is controlling us? We are not perfect. Billy Graham was not perfect. And yet there is a a thread or a stream that runs through our life, which is controlling you. Are you living a life of integrity or hypocrisy? There's another saying we talked earlier about you are what you eat, but there's another saying that goes something like this. You can probably finish this. It's not what you know, but who you know, right? Not what you know, but who you know that counts. Well, in God's world, we might change that just a little bit. It's not what you know, but it's who you are that counts. So... I want you to turn to the person next to you. This means we're almost done here. (laughs) Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a child of God. Can you do that? You are a child of God. That is your identity. In order to live a life of integrity, we first have to understand and identify who we are. And so as a child of God, that means that in the eyes of your heavenly Father, you are a person of righteousness, which simply means that you do the right thing. Now, we all know that we don't always do the right thing, but that is how God sees us, because of what Jesus has done. Behind me, here in the altar, we have a, a great silhouette of the manger. The beginning of Advent and the Christmas season, the beginning of the life of Christ, is the manger. Several of you have commented that have seen this just in the last couple days. It's only been up for a few days. You've asked me, so where's the cross? (laughs) Well, it's over there. It's not gone. It hasn't been removed, but salvation begins at the manger and it ends at the cross. As you see that silhouette, you can imagine yourself in that picture as well where the robe of Christ's righteousness, the activities of his life, his purity is what covers you and what covers me. So instead of thinking of an ugly sweater that's covering my heart tonight, (laughs) think of it as the robe of Christ's righteousness. So first of all, identify with who you are. You are a child of God. So live like it. And then secondly, as an old coach of mine used to say, play like you practice. And what he meant was, don't just live for the game. Because if you do that, you're going to fail. Practice every day like it's the real thing, like that is the game. And he would tell us that if you cheat in practice, you'll cheat in the game. If you cheat in your mind, you'll cheat on the task. You'll cheat on the girl. You'll cheat in business. You'll cheat on your spouse. Play like you practice. For us as the people of God. That means that every day we have an opportunity to make a decision. Are we going to live as people of integrity? As people of Christian character? Or not? Are we going to be faithful or unfaithful? Loving or unloving? Kind or hateful? And when we make that decision every day. In our minds then when life occurs as it does. Most likely will follow in the footsteps of Jesus. As we end this evening and get to the activity here in just a moment, I want to say just a word about the rest of this sheet. I have some questions here for you. I hope you'll take them seriously. I hope you'll take them home. I hope you that you will discuss them with your family so that you might live out the message. You know, the truth is, we are all going to mess up. There are going to be times when we're irritated and we're annoyed, and our heart's going to shrink a little bit, and we're going to be a little bit more like that Grinch. And there are times when the busyness of the world gets in our way, And our focus is not going to be on the manger or on the cross like it ought to be. In those times, know once again that you are a child of God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. What it means is that you were loved and you are forgiven. Put up the last slide if you would. This is what I would like for you. Whoops, where'd it go? Well, I'll read it to you then. Your Heavenly Father willingly and generously gives you the pure heart that you desire and that we all so desperately need. And so, as you go home this evening, know that you do have a pure heart, not because of what you have done, but solely because of what Christ has done in you and for you. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's all pray together the Lord's Prayer. You can remain seated for this.